0: (laughs) That's great. That's part of our new uh, Rocky Peak lingo, huh? They've got no half cheers. Well, you know, at 9 o'clock, that wouldn't work, because it would be like, they only have quarter cheers, so we would say, you know, quarter cheers, and they go, oh, yay! You know, so anyway, it's nice nice to be speaking in the land of the living. I'm just telling you, great to have you here. You've all got a good night's sleep, or if not, it's your own fault, and uh, so... Anyway, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and so I'm excited to be here with you, whether you're here uh, on our campus, uh, you're out on the patio, you're here in the worship center, or you're joining us online. So we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. So inside your program is that green and white message note sheet. You'll definitely want to take that out. We'll be using it a lot. And for those of you joining us online, depending on your format, either at the top or at the bottom, there's a link there that you can click on and then choose whichever uh, kind of look you like the best. So if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. By the way, are you guys excited about Encounter tonight? It's like, oh my goodness, yeah, it's gonna be amazing. It's really gonna be amazing, and uh, we're uh, we're we're kind of hoping it doesn't rain. If it does, we got a plan. We got a plan, Plan B for a rain. Um, we're gonna have a mass baptism out there, and uh, <laughs> but uh, yes. Anyway, let's let's go ahead and pray. And so, Father, we're just thankful to be here in your house uh, on this your day as we come underneath your leadership and. Lord, we're, we're just so thankful that you're the one that, that came and said, I've, I've come to bring you truth, and the truth will set you free. And so as we, we talk today about this important topic of, of truth, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and do what you promised him, he would do. He would lead us into all truth. And so we come as your, as your children. We look to you as our father, our teacher, to speak to each of us by day and make these things come alive to us, apply them to our lives that we can better follow you and be transformed to be like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today in the mountains. In fact, it's in the, it's in the high Sierras, and he's leading a backpacking trip. And uh, this is not one of my stories, so it is a disaster story, but it's, for a kid, it's not mine, just for a change. Um, and so uh, he's, he's leading, uh, he's leading a, a trip of backpacking, and he's a very experienced guide. In fact, at this point in his life, he's led over 100 uh, backpacking trips. And he's very experienced. And so on this particular day, he's leading these backpackers across country. Uh, they're not using trails. And so he's an expert map reader. And so he's following the map and compass and so on and, and leading them. And they're, they're heading up, <clears throat> towards the end of the day, they're heading up a very steep ridge and high in the Sierras when all of a sudden they find themselves surrounded by a cloud bank and on top of that, there, was, there started a freak uh, snowstorm in August. It's August, a freak snowstorm. And between the clouds and the snowstorm, it's a complete whiteout. I mean, they can't see anything. But fortunately, he's an experienced guy. He doesn't panic. He's been following his map. He knows where they are in the map. And so he, he decides that he can go ahead and lead them forward uh, and go over the ridge and down the other side. And hopefully the clouds will, will clear but if not, there's a solid place of ground where they can bivouac and kind of kind of find shelter from the storm. And so, uh, sure enough, he calms everyone down, and they just follow him slowly up the mountain over the ridge, and again, coming down the other side. And sure enough, as they they get over the the other side and start coming down, all of a sudden, as soon as it had come, the clouds parted, and the snow was still. It was still snowing heavily. But um, but he could see where they were uh, at last. Uh, but as the clouds parted, uh, what he saw absolutely terrified him. So today <laughs> we are continuing this series called Worldview. It's an eight-week series. This is week four, so we had three done. You get one more by today. I know some of you are loving it, some of you hate it. That's the way it goes. But uh, if you don't like, it's only four more weeks. Uh, so, um, so uh, well, if, if you were here the very first week of this series, um, we, we introduced the series by starting with a couple definitions. What we mean by worldview. One was very technical, more academic, certainly thorough, very accurate. The second was more, uh, once we understood that, more of a kind of a working definition for us in this series. And so, for those of you who are new, I put it there on the note sheet that, that uh, a worldview is our big picture view of reality, It's based on our deepest assumptions uh, about the most important questions in life. Questions like, like who are we? And why are we here? And and how do we get here? And does life have any purpose? And so how do we figure it out? Those kind of big picture questions. And so today, we come to uh, one of the most important questions that every worldview has to address. And it has to do with truth. How do we discover the truth about the most important questions in life? And what I want to do today is I want to focus on two of the most important worldviews that are shaping our culture today. Uh, we don't have time to go into every worldview, but I think these are two of the most important. Um, and so we're going we're to look at those, and then once we understand those, we're going to compare them with a Christian worldview, kind of a Christian theistic worldview, to see what they have in common and how they're different and what that means for our life. So there, in your note sheet, you have a section that's called worldview, naturalism, and postmodernism. You see a couple bullets. Let's jump in. We won't spend a lot of time here. Um, but the, the first, uh, the first worldview I want to talk about today is is uh, naturalism, or as you see, sometimes we call it. Uh, materialism. Now, this is a worldview that we've talked a lot about in this series. In fact, every week in this series. Uh, Last week, uh, uh, Joel talked about it in terms of scientific materialism or scientific naturalism. It's all the same thing. Um, But but basically, uh, if you're new at this or just a quick review, uh, the the basic worldview goes like this, is that uh, everything we see in the universe, everything that exists, including you and I, is the result of billions of years of random accidents uh, in conjunction with the laws of nature, the laws of physics, uh, and and in in conjunction with the law of natural selection, right? And so the question is, if this is your worldview, then then what do you believe about truth and how we discover truth? And what we find is in this particular worldview, uh, there there are two basic tools that we use to discover what's true, in what we would call classic naturalism so let me give them to you the first tool would be reason right our brains logic and the second tool would be our senses like what we're sensing through our five senses and so especially as we observe those senses with the use of the scientific method all right so so basically how do we know truth we know truth through taking in sensory data uh, and then thinking it through and using scientific method. Now, uh, there are some naturalists who would say, you know, I'm not so big on the first tool of reason. I think the only things we can actually really know for sure are things that are verifiable by science, and we'll talk about that more later. But that's how a naturalist worldview would would go. Hey, we don't we don't need God. We don't need any. We don't believe there's any God. We don't believe there's any spiritual forces, cosmic forces, any other beings. So so we're on our own. This is how we figure it out by reason and by our sensory sensory data. Okay. So Carl Sagan, of course, the famous naturalist, made this uh, kind of had this famous statement, and it showed the cosmos. That the cosmos, capital C, is all that is or was or ever will be, all right? So that, that's, uh, that's naturalism. Let's talk now about postmodernism. Now, for postmodernism, we're going to spend a little more time on this because uh, we've not really talked about this much. So uh, the question is, how, do, uh, how does a postmodern look at the topic of truth and how we discover truth? And let's start with the basics. Uh, uh, someone who has a postmodern worldview, they would start at the same exact place that a naturalist would start. They would agree that we're here as a result of billions of years of random accidents and judgment. So they share that assumption, but from that basic assumption, they draw a completely different conclusion. And so they would say, hey, uh, Because we're here as a result of billions of years of accidents, you can't really trust our logic, and you can't really trust our our senses, Uh, because if we're here as a result of billions of years of accidents, who's to say that uh, our interpretation of sensory data is actually accurate or not? So how many of you have seen the movie The Matrix? Okay, great. Okay. Uh, well, if you've seen it, you get the idea. Like, how do you know if you're in the matrix or in the real world? Right? All we have is sensory data, and so the postmodern said, "Hey, uh, you know, we're trusting that the sensory data that we're taking in, and then our brain that's functioning, that's processing, is actually alignment with reality. But there's no real basis for that. That there's no. It, it's like, say, you had a computer." That uh, was the result of billions of years of accidents. Are you going to trust it's programmed correctly? Right. So when we have, uh, for example, a calculator in your head and you push two plus two and it comes out four, you trust that that's accurate. But the reason it's accurate is because someone with a brain, a mind, actually programmed it. So if we are just like high-functioning biological creatures, the result of random accidents, who's to say? that we are actually processing it right. Now, this is interesting. This whole world of thinking that developed in the postmodern it has a long history. It goes back to the first half of the 19th century, but a key watershed person in this was the famous philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. We talked about him a few weeks ago, who lived in the second half of the 19th century, but he once famously said uh, there on your note sheet that there are no facts there are only interpretations, all right? So on top of this, the postmoderns came along, and, and this, was a, this is kind of a philosophy, if you will, that's developed slowly over time. And so, so it, be, it began to move more in the mainstream, like in the 1950s, with a couple existentialist writers, French writers, uh, uh, Albert Camus and uh, Jean... Uh, his name's slipping me. What? Yeah, pardon Jean-Paul Sartre. Sartre yeah, uh, those, with those two existentialist writers, that began to be, kind of become into our universities. But it really came in in the 1960s as a result of three French philosophers. And, and so as a result of that, they, they developed this theory and they said, hey, so there isn't such thing as truth with a capital T. That, that's the bottom line. If you're a postmodern, there is no such thing as truth with a capital T. There's only your perceptions and my perceptions. Does this sound familiar? Your truth and my truth. And, uh, and they said, and on top of that, what happens in every culture or every subculture, based on their unique experiences, they create a story of reality. And they said, but these stories are not necessarily um, neutral. that that actually these stories, and when I say story, you think of the law, you think of politics, you think of religion, that all of this is created by those who have the most power in the society to advance their own purposes and to oppress those who don't have power. And so out of this has flown into our time. This is probably starting to sound familiar now. This, out of this has flown what we, we call identity politics today, right? That there's, there's your story, there's my story, and, and that in culture what we have is this, this fight for power, that, we, that, we, that, that there's, there is no truth, there's only power. Um, and so uh, James Sire, you know, I'll be quoting him several times today, but if you're here the very first week of this series, I introduce this. This is like a college-level textbook uh, on... Uh, On worldview. And in this book, what he basically does is he compares and contrasts like nine major worldviews that have started, like maybe back in the Enlightenment, that have influenced Western culture, including Eastern worldviews that have now influenced Western culture. And so uh, it's a very helpful uh, resource. But in there, he describes the bottom line of postmodernism there in your. Uh, Your uh, your note sheet. He he. The name of the book is called "The Universe Next Door." He said, "According to postmodernism, nothing we think we know can be checked against reality as such. Truth is what we can get our colleagues to agree on." All right. Okay. So um, okay. So this is a quick overview, right? So naturalism says, "Hey, we're here. We're the result of billions of years." but we can figure out uh, what is true by paying attention to our sensory data as interpreted by scientific method um, and by our reason. And the postmoderns reacted against that and said, no, 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 we agree with your premise that we're here as a result of billions of years of accidents, but because of that, there's no way we can trust our own brains to to accurately take in information, interpret that information. So all that's left is is different cultures and subcultures create their own stories to make sense of their world, but there's no no one story that's better than any other story. There's no such thing as truth with a capital T, and these stories that are created are actually created by those in power to oppress others and to advance their own cause. Okay, so there's the intro. Now, so here's what we want to do. So what I want to do today is what I want to do is compare and contrast uh, these two very popular worldviews in our culture with sort of a Christian theistic worldview, where they're similar, where they're different. And to get at this, I want to go back to this analogy, this metaphor I introduced the very first week of maps and map reading. Right, So there in your note you have a section called worldview evaluating the maps. So uh, if you're new, or just for those of you in quick review, what, what I said the first week is that worldview is like a map of reality. Now, the purpose of a map is to help you navigate through life correctly, right? So like on, on Friday, I needed to go into the valley to, uh, to get some uh, of my eyes checked, and so um, I, I punch in the coordinates, you know, the address uh, on, my, on my, uh, my car, gives me the Google Maps. And so it's going to get the purpose of a map is to get you from point A to point B when you don't know where you're going. Right? That's the purpose. Well, in a similar way uh, that a worldview is like a map of reality to say, hey, this is the way the world is. And, and so I'm going to help you navigate through life by uh, telling you what to expect of life. But of course, the value of a map is directly proportionate to its accuracy. So I use the analogy before. Let's say I'm driving down the 118. And for those of you who are watching in Arkansas, just go with this. So <laughs> I'm driving down the 118. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm coming from Simi. And I, I'm going to get off at Tampa. right? And I'm going to take a right and I'm going to head down towards the valley. So one of the the first major cross streets you're going to come through is Devonshire, right? So if my map says, okay, you're on Tampa, and you're going to cross Devonshire, that when I get there, I should be able to look up and say, I should see Tampa on one side, and I should see Devonshire. Uh, This is working. If I get there and it doesn't say that, there's something wrong. Either I have the wrong map, I'm reading it wrong, but something is not working. And in a similar way, a worldview is a map of reality. And so we should be able to take that map and say, okay, so this is the way you're telling me life is. Now I'm going to compare it with real life. What I know of real people, what I know of my experience, what I know of history, what I know of science, what I know. I'm going to compare it with real life to see if this map aligns. And one of the marks of a, of a, a worldview, it's, it's got to be livable. Like if you say this is how to navigate life successfully, you have to be able to follow that map consistently. Right? Okay, so, we'll, so with that in mind, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of compare and contrast these two major worldviews impacting our culture today, uh, uh, naturalism and then postmodernism, and we'll compare it with Christian theism. So let's start with naturalism. So um, When naturalism was born, when this worldview was born, it was really born as a combination of two things coming together. The scientific revolution that started in the second half of the 16th century and the enlightenment which started in the second half of the 17th century. And so if you can just travel back in time, this was a very heady time for philosophers because, because of science, all these new advancements, and there was a sense that we don't need God anymore, we don't need religion anymore, we can just figure out life on our own. But what we're going to see is when you take God out of the picture, it messes with any worldview. Uh, and what happens is it becomes an unreliable map. And so what what happens in naturalism, it starts with this very heady, hey, we can figure out everything we need to know about life from our reason and from our scientific observations. But as I've already demonstrated, it was naturalists themselves in the 19th century, philosophers like Friedrich Nietzsche, that began to see the problem with this, is if we're Here and were the result of billions of years of random accidents. Who's to say that this accident between our ears is actually perceiving correctly or interpreting correctly? And so so this is where naturalism began to be challenged, began to fall apart. But Naturalism also faces some other big challenges. It just doesn't align with life in a couple major ways I want to highlight here. And this is especially true for those naturalists that want to say, yeah, we're not so big on reason. We're like, everything has to be proved scientifically. That's the only way to know it's really true. So let me give you a couple, couple ways it doesn't really align with life. First of all, science by nature only deals with the physical cosmos, that's all it can do. It's, it's designed to measure, discover in the physical world. If there is a spiritual world, like if there is a God, if there are any gods, if there is any cosmic force, there's no way that science could ever actually discover that because it's outside the realm of science. Are you with me? It's something outside the realm. So, and so what happens is, and I want you to catch this. There is no conflict between science and religion. There's a conflict between between a type of scientific philosophy that we call scientism, which is a form of naturalism, and religion. Because in scientism, the naturalist says this, there is no God. We live in a material world. And you say, how do we know that how has science proved that? Well, science can't prove that. It's If there is a God, he's outside the material world. So it is an assumption taken by faith that there is isn't. And it's that a priori assumption that causes huge problems. Because what it does is that a priori assumption rules out any evidence in creation that would suggest there is a creator. So let me... Uh, it also rules, uh, this kind of assumption also rules out the other kind of evidence that you and I live by every day of our life. Like, let me give you an example. Like, how do we know that there was such a thing as a Roman empire? Like, is that something that science can prove? No. No, we, we believe that there was such a thing of a Roman empire. Why? Because we base it on, on the basis of Evidence, it's not scientific evidence in that sense, but on evidence of historical documents, archaeological digs, right? These kinds of evidence. This is how we live our life, right? Like, how do you, how do you prove that you were where you claimed to be two weeks ago? You can't prove that scientifically, but we can look by, by evidence. We, there's evidence that we, we consider as credible, right? That, hey, well, you have eyewitnesses that you were there. Uh, you can look at your GPS on your phone, where you were, right? That we, we can look at other ways. And so the problem with naturalism is it tends to rule out certain kinds of evidence that we use every day to navigate life. So let me give you a couple examples of this. In recent years, it's become harder and harder for Kind of a naturalist version of the universe, billions and billions of years, in random accidents, um, interfacing with the laws of nature and natural selection. It's becoming harder and harder for those for that premise to explain what we're discovering in science through science. Like let me give, like there are three major discoveries that are kind of recent discoveries in, in the history of things that are, are, are saying, hey, this doesn't really explain this. So let me, we don't have time to go into them in great detail, but let me, let me just give them to you real quick. Um, there's a, a great book on the markets. Uh, it's a recent book called in The Hypothesis of God, uh, if you want to read more on this. But so three great three, three big discoveries. Number one is what scientists call the fine-tuning of the universe. That over the years scientists have identified over a hundred and fifty specific kind of scientific uh levels of uh gradation that the creation has to have in order for this universe to to go just from anything with subatomic particles to you know gravitational forces and things like that and and it's becoming like as you look at this evidence right as you look at this it's like hey this 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 is becoming more and harder and harder to believe this is a result of random accidents like this is this is like finely tuned in fact scientists call this the finely tuned problem it's a problem because it's impossible to understand how the theory could account for this a second example has to do with dna what we've discovered in recent years about dna is that dna in every you know, dna is an incredibly complex code of information that's in every single cell. And Bill Gates, for example, has said this is essentially very similar to computer code, but at a level we've never seen. Well, everything we know about codes, it requires a mind to create codes. Like a, a, material, a material universe doesn't create incredibly complex codes of information to make something run. A third example was that more and more in the fossil record, we're seeing the emergence of complex life forms with no predecessors, which is really impossible to understand. And so so what's happening is that evidence is mounting that there was a a designer behind this design. Um, But what's interesting is that in the scientific community, for the most part, this concept of intelligent design, which, by the way, doesn't prove like a Christian God, necessarily. That's other things. But just that there's a mind behind the universe, it's, it's, it's really it's often rejected. And what is, what is claimed about it is that, well, intelligent design is just religion being forced in as, as it's, it's really like religion being claimed to be science. But I want you to catch this. That's not at all what's happening. The way science is often defined this day is not the way you you, scientific method you use to discover information. It's a philosophy, and the philosophy starts with there is only matter in the universe. Well, that's not a that's not something that science has discovered. That's a philosophical assumption. That's a faith move. But when you start by defining science, then anything that doesn't suggest that there's that thing, oh, that's religion. What I want you to catch is this is the kind of evidence that in any other area of life we would say this is solid, we need to follow this. This is how we make sense of our lives every day. And yet for the naturalists, they they, they have to rule out that kind of evidence a priori. It doesn't really work. This is very true. Let me give you another example that where this impacts. At the heart of Christianity is the... The, the teaching about the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the apostle Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's go home, game's over, right? So Christianity rises and falls. But what's interesting, we'll talk more about this at Easter, by the way, but what's interesting about this is that biblical scholars today, and when I talk about biblical scholars, I'm not talking about scholars who believe the Bible is the word of God. You may not know this, but most biblical scholars don't believe that. And those kind of biblical scholars, they will give to you 12 facts, historical facts about the, surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm telling you, they can't be explained by anything other than the resurrection. They, they will agree to 12 facts historically and say, yes, we will give you these facts. You say, okay, well, putting those together, where does that evidence lead? But the vast majority would say, well, I don't know, but it can't lead to a resurrection because we know that there is no such thing as miracles. So there's a, there's a naturalist assumption. And what I want you to catch is the irony of this is that those who believe in a creator are often seen as closed-minded. But the reality is those who buy into naturalism are incredibly closed-minded because they will not look at the evidence and follow the evidence where it leads because they've decided a priori that it can't happen. Are you with me in this? Yeah. So naturalism doesn't really fit the real world, how we live life. It's, it, it just ignores the common sense way we make sense and truth of life all the time. But let's talk about postmodernism. Oh, by the way, before we leave... Uh, before we leave uh, naturalism just another quote from uh, uh, from James Sire about how kind of modern mind has said hey the whole basic premise that we can figure out reality based on our brains and science is flawed so he says after nietzsche no thoughtful person should have been able to secure easy confidence in the objectivity of human reason By the 1990s, everyone in the Western world and much of the East came to see that confidence in human reason is almost dead. This is what gave rise to the postmodern movement in uh, becoming so popular. Many scientists and technologists continue in their confidence that science gives sure knowledge, but they seem to be the last part of the intellectual world to do so. And that confidence is rapidly um, decreasing, even as... You know we speak here, all right? Okay, so let's. So that's that's you know that's naturalism, right? In order to make it work, you have to just ignore tons of evidence and uh, kind of start with basic assumptions, not that are not based, they're not scientific assumptions, and they're not proved by science. They're just a philosophical assumption, right? Uh, let's talk about postmodernism. So uh, when it comes to postmodernism. Again, remember what we're doing is we're comparing this as a worldview map, a map to reality, to see does it fit or does it fit? Can a person consistently live this out? And remember, so the basic postmodern conclusion is there is no truth, what what I would call truth with a capital T. It's truth for all people at all times, in all places, that all there is is interpretations of, uh, of of sensory data, um, and that every story, every culture, and every subculture has their own story, and those stories are created by those in power to advance their cause and to oppress others. All right, so so let's let's say, well, well how does that work in the real world? How does that map uh, align with what we know of life? And there's three major problems with this. At right? least uh, right off the bat, three I want to highlight. There's probably more than three, but let me three right at the bat. Uh, number one is there's no basis for measuring the, the, tr- uh, the good or the bad of a particular culture. There's no basis of morality. For va- so for example, if every culture's story is equally valid, which is what the claim is, like, don't criticize a culture. For those of you who are students or whatever, and you're in school, and like you, the cardinal sin is you never say anything about a culture is bad, right? So, so with that perspective, how do you evaluate? Let's go back to Nazi Germany. There's no basis of saying in postmodern worldview that Nazi Germany was better or worse than allied forces because every story is equally valid. Nazi Germany with Hitler, they're living their truth. They're living their truth. We're the master race, and we have destiny, and it's been a thousand-year Reich, and we're living our story. And the Allies are saying, no, we don't don't like your story. We like our story better. Our story is a story about freedom. But a postmodern would say both stories are equally valid or equally invalid, There's no basis for making a claim that one is better than another. But as human beings, we know that certain things are right. We know certain things are wrong, that we sense, like, rape is not good. It's not not okay if it's okay in one culture, but not okay in another. We can't say murder. We can't say that uh, child abuse, you know, it just doesn't fit with the way life really works and the way human beings really are. Uh, a second problem is that there is no basis for a unified, harmonious human civilization. Um, that if, if it's really true that every story is created by those in power to oppress those who aren't in power, then, then this is going to lead to ever-increasing breakdown of culture into smaller and smaller units. And this is what's happening in our culture today with identity politics. And you've probably seen this, right? This is the narrative that we're seeing in our culture, that, that our culture uh, kind of the, is, has a certain story that's there to benefit those in power. And catch this, there's some truth to this. Let me just do a little sidebar real quick. I think as followers of Jesus, we have to grow up and become more discerning. That often as Christians in the past, what we've done is we want to label something as all bad or all good. But that's not the way life really works. And in every catch this, in every worldview, there is some truth. It, it's not that it's all bad, it's that the lie in it, the mistake in it, is what brings it down. And I want you to remember this. One of the things we've talked about over the years is that spiritual warfare at the highest level is at the level of ideas. And catch this the best lie is the lie with the most truth. And so so what happened here's what happened. Christians come along with a critical race theory, it's all baloney, it's all from the devil. No, no, there are some helpful insights. But the theory as a whole leads to the destruction of a civilization. Right? If someone's as a pantheist worldview, there's certain things in that that are true, that are valuable. And what you'll find is if it's true, it's already in the Christian worldview. It's already there. Right? And so, but what you're seeing in our culture is this identity, What, what, what what's happening is that out of postmodernism, that there are. There is no ultimate truth. There's only stories. And stories are told by groups to advance their cause that leads to identity politics, And that's exactly what's happening in our culture. So what's the narrative in our culture? Whites are oppressing non-whites. Right? Is there some truth to that? Sometimes there's some truth to that. But is that the whole story of reality? You see, um, that men are oppressing women, It'll tear down the patriarchy, right? Um, that people who are heterosexual are oppressing those that are not heterosexual. Have different sexual preference. The rich are oppressing the poor. But what you see that when you build a worldview on this, what this does is sets you up for perpetual war in smaller and smaller and smaller segments. Because now it's not just now it's not just uh, whites against blacks. It's black, say lesbians who are poor. You yeah. see, so, like, it, it just breaks down further and further. You can't. And, and here's the thing: we can't even talk to one another because, like, if I as a white man am talking to a black man, supposedly we can't have that conversation because their story is different than my story. And there's no base. There's no. There's no truth in between for us to seek together. And so what happens is there's a progressive breakdown of a culture when you live out the postmodern worldview. There in your note sheet from James Sire. He writes our age, which is more and more is coming to be called postmodern, finds itself afloat in the pluralism of perspectives, a plethora of philosophical possibilities, but with no dominant notion of where to go or how to get there. A new future of culture, cultural anarchy seems inevitable. And on top of this, men and women, here's the thing. Again, remember, with every worldview, we have to say, hey, can you really live this out? If this is a map of reality, I should be able to follow it in my life and make sense of the world. But this doesn't really work. Postmodernism works in a classroom. It works in a book. But in real life, it doesn't work out because here's the thing. Deep inside of us, we all have a sense there is such a thing as truth with a capital T. And in fact, those who would come and argue against us and say, no, there is no such thing as truth with a capital T. Every story is equally as valid as another story five minutes later are going to be angry at you when you don't agree with their story (laughs) because their story is the right story and you're living in denial and you won't face the truth of that story and you're an evil person because of it and we need to cancel you. We need to cancel you because you don't see the truth. It's like, I thought you just said that there was no truth. I thought you just said that all stories are equally valid. If that's true, then my story is equally as valid as your story. Why are you trying to cancel me for my story if there is no truth with a capital T? You see? All right. So this is what I mean It's one thing to articulate a worldview and say, okay, let's just map it out with reality. Can you live that out? And what you find is you can't. All right, so let's, let's compare then these two worldviews with uh, kind of a Christian worldview. So remember, Christians fall under the umbrella of theism. You believe in a God. There's different kinds of theists, like Islamic theists, there's uh, Jewish theists, but of course, we're Christian theists. That's our, our, our map. But let's compare, let's compare this, this map and see, um, see how they, how they uh, line up. Now remember, the purpose of a map is to help us navigate reality. Um, And what we've just seen is that in postmodernism and naturalism, they they don't really help us navigate that map. But both at certain points, they let us down. They lead us to a cul-de-sac in regards to truth, discovering the pursuit of truth. Um, you know, today we started the day with a story of this backpacking incident, and uh, this is a true story, by the way. In fact, uh, after the first week of the series, a man here in our church emailed said, so let me share my map story with you, um, and, uh, and, and I know this man personally, we've been in to Israel together, very credible source, but he, uh, he was the guide in the story. He led over 100 backpacking trips. And, uh, and so, so they go up, and they find themselves in the whiteout. He's got the map. He's the expert reader. He thinks, right, we can get over this ridge, down the other side, get out of the clouds onto safe footing where we can bivouac in the midst of this freak storm, right? So we can survive. And so he leads them through the whiteout, and they come up over to come down. And sure enough, uh, as they're coming down, the clouds begin to part. And though it's snowing, they can, they can first begin to see but what he sees scares him to death because what he realizes is that he had led them not to solid ground, but to a snowpack, a hardened snowpack that was extending out from a mountain and they were heading directly for a sheer cliff. And if that, if that cloud had not lifted when it did, he would have led them all to, their, to a terrifying death. When I heard that story, what a great illustration of the important. And he said, what he learned from that, he said that it's one thing to have your map, but he said you you have to be able to compare your map to reality. Because otherwise, you can't see if you think if you're where you think you are. And that's the point of this: is that whatever worldview we're in, we have to say, where does this worldview lead? And can I live with that, those that destination, and does it align with reality with the way life really is right so we 've seen that with postmodernism and with naturalism they, they don 't lead to um, to truth they, they lead to a dead end um, they, they leave us high and dry um, so let's let 's compare it with uh, with theism right How does theism compare well here's what I want you to catch so so as Christians, what we should expect is that in every worldview, there always is going to be certain truth. And catch this, this is very critical, we'll talk about this later in this series, for us to recognize the truth, because it's the truth that allows us to build bridges with non-believers. Like, like, so if I'm talking to someone, say, with critical race theory, I can say to him, wow, I love your passion for justice. And, and I can agree with you that often the rich do make, the rich and the powerful do make laws that to in favor, that that's true. And God has always been against that. That true biblical justice is that the laws are always applied in an in a equitable way that they're not applied, the rich get one And, and so I, I agree with you on that. However, have you thought where your theory leads you? So whatever worldview we're talking with, we can understand a person's worldview, we can, we can build a bridge there. Yes, I agree with you here. Um, but have you thought of implications where it leads? And so let's talk about, let's talk about where theism shares common ground with naturalism and postmodernism. Um, with, With the naturalists, we can agree that we actually can know truth about the world and about life through reason and through senses and through science. And the reason is because as theists, we believe in a rational creator who's created a rational cosmos and who created us in his image to correspond with this physical creation and because of that we have reason to believe we actually can know truth because we're not the result of billions of years of accidents we are designed for this cosmos in which we live and we follow a god of truth who wants us to know truth and so we can affirm that but we but with Put to the naturalist, we can say, however, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to be closed-minded to other evidence. We can actually be open to all evidence. And if we look at the cosmos and it shows incredible design that's impossible to explain in any other way than a designer, we can conclude that there actually is a designer. And if we look at the... Historical evidence for a resurrection of Jesus, then it all points in a reasonable way to support that conclusion. If it all leads to that conclusion, we don't have to be closed-minded and say that's impossible, that we actually can follow the evidence where it leads. And on top of that, and we'll talk about this more next week, on top of that, though we believe in the value of truth discovered by reason and, say, science, that we don't believe that that's enough to answer the most important questions in life. And for that, we're going to need the creator to actually reveal some things for us. So as theists, we not only believe in reason, not only believe in science, we believe in revelation, and we believe we have good, reasonable reasons to believe in that. We'll talk more about it next week. What about postmoderns? With postmoderns, we can say, hey, yes, we agree with you that just through our reason and through our science, we can't know all truth. We're going to need God to step in for more of that. We just talked about that. And we can also agree with you that we are all influenced by our culture and that sometimes we, we miss truth because of the group that we're, we're, born, we're born into or we're raised in. But here's where we disagree with you. As postmoderns, you would say that we cannot escape our cultural group that we've been grown with. You would say that, no, you think you're an individual, but you're really just part of the group. And what you think you're actually, is it individual thoughts? That's really just a reflection of your group, and you can never escape that. But we would say as Christians, no, we, we do believe we're influenced by our culture, but we believe that God has created us to know truth, and by science, by reason, and by revelation, by the work of his Holy Spirit, we can actually transcend our culture, And we can change, that we are not stuck in, as people determined by our culture, we can actually rise above our culture, which is what Paul is saying in Romans 12, where he says, do not be conformed to the thinking of this world, but be transformed by the renewing. As Christians, we believe that we can actually become something that we are not through the power of God's work in our life. As Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? So we're not stuck. We're not stuck in our own minds. We're not stuck in a world left to ourselves that we are able to embrace reason. Christians should be the best thinkers out there. And we're able to embrace science, and Christians should produce the best scientists out there. We can also embrace revelation when there's good reason to do so. And that will lead us to the meaning of life and answer all of life's most important questions. So having said that, I have one question for you as we wrap this up. There in your note sheet, worldview, one key question. And let me set this up. That... I'm assuming, as I have every week of the series that I've taught, I'm assuming that whether it's here in our congregation, whether it's those of you joining us online, that we have people of all different worldviews. First of all, many of us would self-identify as Christian theists. We're Christians, we're followers of Jesus. But as I've said early in this series, just because we identify doesn't mean we have a Christian worldview. Often we're a combination say of, we're Christians, but without even being realized it, we have actually bought in at parts to a naturalist worldview. We bought into a postmodern worldview, my truth and your truth. Maybe we bought into a pantheistic worldview. So for example, sometimes you'll see something like this where someone who once Claim to be a follower of Jesus is no longer a follower of Jesus, and they're announcing that they are. Uh, maybe they're they're uh, they're marrying someone of the same sex, and sometimes you'll see Christians who claim to be Christians congratulating them on this. Right? Now, now, what is that? What's what's happening when that happens? Well, the a person says, "I'm a follower of Jesus, so by definition, I should have a Christian worldview." But if you talk to that person, they're saying, well, I don't think that's for me, but I'm happy for them. So what they're saying is, I have my truth, and you have your truth. And I don't agree with you, so I don't think that's right, but that I'm happy for you. Well, how would a Christian with the Christian worldview look at that? Well, if there's a real God who's designed life and told us, here's the path to human flourishing, and this is outside of that path, then why would you ever congratulate someone that if Christianity is true, is actually going to lead to destruction and a tearing down of their humanity? You see? But but here we are, we're like, I'm a Christian, uh, we claim to be, but I'm acting like my truth and your truth, and then I'm reaching over here to Oprah and pulling in a little bit (laughs) of cosmic consciousness I've got my crystal up in my car. I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, so so I'm assuming that we have all kinds of worldviews. So we've got we've got Christians. We've got. Christians with compromised worldviews. We've got naturalists. We've got uh, postmoderns. We've got some people here that you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you're here seeking truth. Is there anything in Christianity that will actually lead me to truth and set me free? And you don't know the answer to that question, but you're here exploring. And there's others that here might be call you. You'd say, I'm a skeptic. No, I'm a naturalist. I think it makes sense. You're all whacked out. Huh? and I'm assuming we have all the spectra. And so when I ask this question, I want you, I'm asking it for all of us. Whether you're postmodern, you're a pantheist, you're a naturalist, you're a Christian, you're a compromised Christian. Like, wherever we're at, this question's for all of us. So here's the question, how do you respond to truth? When truth is revealed in your life, how do you respond? And I think the way we answer this is one of the most important questions for our spiritual life. And I call this general principle, uh, and you, some of you have heard me talk about this before, I call it the dimmer switch principle. I mean, One of the most important principles of our spiritual life This is something that Jesus taught, something that those he trained taught, something that the Bible as a whole teaches, that when truth is revealed to us, that we have two options. One option is to move towards that truth, embrace that truth, and follow that truth wherever it leads, catch this, regardless of what it reveals or what it requires, And if we do, according to Jesus, New Testament, the Word, that when we do, it's like the dimmer switch gets turned up and we get more truth. But on the flip side, if when truth is revealed, we reject that truth, we turn away from that truth, we move away from that truth because we don't like what the truth requires or we don't like what the truth reveals... According to Jesus, New Testament, it's like a dimmer switch gets turned down. You know, and it doesn't matter what area of our life. Truth about marriage, truth about God, truth about dating, truth about sexuality, truth about nature, truth about reason, truth about... It doesn't matter. And so one of the most important questions of our life is how do we respond to truth when it's revealed? And here's why it's so important, because as we go through this series, whether it's the weekend teaching, whether it's the book, Faithfully Different, we're all reading together, that that there are going to be times for all of us when truth is going to be revealed that we're not going to like, and there's going to be a huge temptation to turn away from it because of what it reveals or what it requires. But I want you to remember what Jesus said. If you continue in my words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But did you catch what he said? If. If. And the flip side is equally true. And if we don't, we won't know the truth and we won't be set free. So wherever we are at, in terms of our worldview today, the most important question we could ask is how will we respond to the truth when it's revealed? Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come today at just heady topics and yet so important to understand our culture, to understand what it looks like to be faithful to you, like faithfully different uh, in the midst of a culture that's increasingly hostile to the worldview of Jesus. word, and and how important it is if we really want to build bridges with others that they can pass over in their journey to know the truth that will set them free. And so, Lord, we pray that you continue, whether it's in our weekend teaching, whether it's in our reading during the week, in our small groups, our life groups, as we discuss this, as we kick around with friends, we pray that you'd be revealing truth, truth that we would embrace and would set us free. We praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.